welcome to the OK Strike That Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your co-host, Christian Betleon, and I'm joined with... Will Hendrick. Pizza Fonte. Now let's get into the show. All right, welcome to the third episode of OK Strike That. We'll start off with the recent news. Big in the heart of Christian. JT Rilamito going to the Phillies. What do you think? I love it, of course. The Phillies are looking really good this coming year. Real Muto took a big step forward last year, you know, jumping up to 21 home runs after hitting 17 the year before and only 11 the year before that. He finished with 100 or he finished at 142 on the player rater for ESPN, which is just okay, but happened to be the best catcher in the league. So, you know, with Miami's dreadful offense, that 21 home runs and 74 RBIs looks pretty good. He's always been a consistent 280 to 300 hitter. You know, given how few catchers there are that can actually hit, he becomes pretty valuable with that position scarcity. You know, so now I know we're going to get into catcher um, strategy later on, but if I were to invest in any catcher, it's probably JT. He should see an uptick in home runs at Citizens Bank Park, and especially with their lineup just being so good. You know, I probably would have him ranked around 100 with the position scarcity at catcher. That probably upticks him to about 80. That doesn't mean I'm going to invest in eighth round pick, but somebody probably will. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, being on the Phillies definitely helps him out. His stats have gotten better as the years go on. The only one that hasn't went in the right direction was average, but it dropped by a couple points down to, I think it was 277 last year. His highest was a couple years ago at 301. So not that huge of a difference. He puts the bat on the ball at an above average level and his walk rate is is pretty, pretty good. It was the best it was ever last year, but that's probably because there was no one on the Marlins to pitch to besides him. So we got walked a lot. I agree with the ranking around 90, 100. So that puts him about ninth round, but someone will definitely reach for him higher than that because of the catcher, because he's a catcher in the position scarcity. Well, I'm going to be honest because I don't really, I don't mind the Phillies, but I don't really care what they do. I don't think from a fantasy point of view, this changes my view one way or the other. I don't think this moves the needle. He was probably the top catcher before the trade, and now he's just definitely the top catcher in my mind. I don't think he would ever be there in the eighth or ninth round, but that's just me. I, I think just based on people like having a desire to fill out their rosters, he's going to go fifth round early. So I think it's if you're a Phillies fan like Christian or half the league we play in, then great. Good for you. You're happy. But as a fantasy owner, I think not much impact. I think you're still going to see him draft the same place and he's still just the number one catcher. So you think that going from the Miami offense, Miami stadium, moving to a, a good offense in Philadelphia, a, a good hitters park in Citizens Bank Park that we don't see a, even an uptick from him in a couple points batting average, couple couple home runs. I do because I think park factor and some of those other factors are real. So I do think there it helps, but I just had him as the number one catcher anyway. I had him above Gary Sanchez anyway. So for me, it's just not a big deal. I, I think if you were bullish on him because of the Marlins Park and because of the lineup and they're god awful. You haven't been paying attention, first of all, past couple of years because he's done fine. But now I, you, you have him higher up. And so for you or for someone else who valued him that way, then I think it moves the needle more than for me because I had him as top catcher anyway. So I think there's more fantasy impact on the next piece of news, which is my boy, Brad Boxberger, 
signing with the Royals here. That that is a big deal. No, but seriously, I mean, he's going to close games for the Royals. If you looked at their bullpen, there's really no one else there. So. Oh, there's no competition whatsoever. I mean, they have Willie Peralta. Uh, so Boxberger figures to be the closer. He had yeah. 32 saves last year, which is pretty good. But 4.39 ERA, just a decent you know K to walk ratio. I really only see him as a late round flyer as a closer. And I, you know, he certainly doesn't have a guaranteed job. He's certainly not reliable, but he potentially could contribute to saves and he'll get blown up from time to time. I definitely think he'll get the opportunity to save. From what I've been reading, people are saying he's going to go into spring training complete, competing with Willie Peralta because Willie Peralta was perfect on save opportunities when he did take over last year. But I, I just don't think that he's done enough to be like, oh, Willie Peralta is definitely our closer. Boxberger has the experience, like you said, 32 saves last year. He did blow eight saves. He wasn't the most stable pitcher last year, but from a fantasy standpoint, he got you a good number of saves, which is really all that matters, as long as he keeps his job, which besides Willie Peralta has no competition on the Royals. So if he is the closer, he should keep his job for a decent amount of time. I mean, the Royals bullpen is probably going to be a dumpster fire, but when you play the saves game, that ends up happening. So you're going you're gonna to deal with that. I think he's definitely going to be the closer. The Royals paid him, I think, $2 million, And I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but for them, they're not really investing in free agency. That signals to me that he's going to get the first crack at it. It's Willie Peralta, like you said. They also have a house minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, or McCarthy there as well as a bullpen fixture. I don't think he really is going to play in factor, but I've seen some speculate that he could get some saves too. I think Boxberger ends up with the most saves in the bullpen this year. Who do you think ends up with the most saves there, Pete? I, I can't even say. It really just depends who, who wins the job in spring training because I think whoever does is going to have a pretty long leash. And just a quick note for our listeners, my philosophy when it comes to closures is the exact opposite of Christians and some of the other people out there. I believe in saves. It's a category. I don't want to punt it ever, especially because you can have terrible weeks where your hitting is embarrassing. And for closers on bad teams, and I think most would agree the Royals are probably going to be bad, they're going to win at least 40 games. I'm saying, like, even if they're terrible, they're going to at least win 40 games. So... Even again, being conservative, they're going to have at least 20 save opportunities. The thing, the thing about closers at this caliber are that there are opportunities to acquire these types of players along the way. So to invest a significant draft value in a guy who's not solidified in the role, maybe has some unreliability, to me, I would rather invest that same draft position in somebody else, like a decent hitter or you know a decent starting pitcher where I know that I can acquire some bottom-of-the-barrel closer along the way. And frankly, if I, my goal is to acquire those middle-to-bottom-of-the-barrel closers along the way, I know I can get a couple of them and that there's going to be a high churn rate in those that I acquire. So I have to acquire a high volume of them because I know there's a percentage that are going to not pan out. You know, you're not wrong. You're not wrong on that. And that I think that's a great transition into the main part of our podcast for today, which is going to be draft strategy, debate, and discussion. We're going to just hit some, I guess, common themes that are discussed often with draft strategy. And the next week, just to give you a preview of what we'll be moving to, we'll start kind of our positional discussions and we'll start with first base. But for now, let's talk about the draft. So we'll just roll through some commonly talked about strategies, ones that maybe I use that other people use, who knows. I think for me, the first place I start is make sure to use updated projections. Now, we play in a league with a lot of idiots, 
And that can be great sometimes because someone will tear their ACL in training camp. They don't update their rankings. And so they're at the top of the list. Or maybe there's visa issues. There's a lot of stuff going on in Venezuela right now. For example, I just saw in Roto World that Franklin Burrito is stuck there. He's probably going to be fine and get in, but that's the kind of stuff you want to make sure to be on the lookout for. I think when you're updating your ratings, make sure someone's healthy and they're playing. And also, lastly, I'll say that they have a job, that their depth chart, that they're where you think you are. You know, I, I'm curious, like Abdubal Herrera is assumed to be the center fielder of Phillies, but I've actually, in researching for this podcast, seen that maybe not, maybe this Roman Quinn figure might be. But so you you go in, you want to adjust your depth chart for that. Yeah, Roman Quinn's had uh, had a pretty good end of the year last year, a nice little stretch, but it's hard to see that they wouldn't put Oduble out there, you know, given, given his contract and everything that they've invested in him. Uh, to answer your question, I think another thing to add on there is make sure that you're looking at rankings and projections for your league's scoring type. And often, if you look at ESPN or CBS or Yahoo, you, you may be looking at a categories rankings, you may be looking at a points leagues rankings, and those are very different scoring methods. And frankly, it changes the value of a player. You might not think that player X would be a different value just because the game has some small setting changes, but that's, that's a big deal. So make sure you're looking at the right projections for your league settings. Yeah. And, and one thing that I would say to go along with everything that you guys just said is do mock drafts. There are sites out there where you can actually program your league settings. If you're in a keeper league, you can program keepers into them. And you can do mock drafts you know, with a computer. You can do live mock drafts. And it goes by you know, the general consensus. And just do mock drafts because what I found in the past is by doing mock drafts all the way through, uh, whether you're in a you know, 18, 27, 50 round le- um, draft, whatever it is, do the mock drafts. Because people are going to fall to you in certain positions. And if you see that there's a trend that they're falling to you in certain positions, maybe it's somebody you hadn't thought about, you hadn't looked into, or someone that, frankly, maybe you never even heard of. It puts them on your radar. It has you look at it. And like Willie said, maybe it's somebody like Roman Quinn who's like, hmm, maybe he can win the center field job. It's someone to, to put on your radar. Uh, so just doing mock, mock drafts helps with everything you guys said. It, you're doing a mock draft and you get somebody and it says, well, he's having visa issues or he has an injury problem right now. You're going to find all that out by doing mock drafts. And I think that's a good point. I think the value for mock drafts is getting familiar with players and generally where the systems think the players will go. Problem I have with mock drafts, I mean, I love them for fun. The problem I have is no draft. Even the the ones that are online and, and heavily based on just average draft position, even those, nothing goes according to plan. So if you're relying on a mock draft, to kind of prepare you for what actual draft day will be, I'd say you're not going to get the value you're expecting out of it. If you're looking for what you said, Pete, to get some familiarity with people who might be there in later rounds and names of people and that kind of stuff, then then I agree. And maybe I would have just had also like positional depth. You know, you could see where things are are deeper, shallow in in your mind. Yeah, and that's a great point just to not rely on it. But it also helps you with if you are in a live situation and you remember from your mock draft that someone who just got drafted was going three rounds later in your mock drafts consistently, then you know, okay, that, that person overpaid for him, whatever, I'll forget about them. Or vice versa, you could see, wow, this person's still here and they were going two rounds earlier in all my mock drafts. Maybe it's someone I should take a look at for my next pick. And I think I think mock drafts really come in handy when not just exercising the muscle of, of doing the draft, but playing out uh, situations that you might be thinking about. So for example, maybe you're targeting one of the top starting pitchers with you know your first or second pick. 
how do the next three, four, five picks play out and what does your roster look like? So using those mock drafts to play out hypothetical situations is really valuable. Exactly. That's what I do all the time. I'll do, I'll pick different players in the beginning of the draft on purpose to see if I go one route, how my team will lay out. And then I'll have two or three different routes that I can go depending on who, who falls to me in the draft. Like last year, for example, on my wraparound pick in the second round, in the middle of the second round, Max Scherzer was there. Wasn't expecting him to be here, be there. So I took him and getting that kind of starting pitcher early, I had a route to go for that and what other players I was looking for from then on. Well, I think that's a good segue. So Christian, last year was the first time in a while that I saw you draft and invest heavily in starting pitching. What were your thoughts on that? Were you happy that you did that? What are your thoughts on drafting an ace or two or none now that you've kind of went down that road? Well, I think, you know, in years past, there's been a really clear cut big three. And then there was a slut, you know, there was a, a big drop off after that, that you could really plan for, you know, so taking one of those big three, then go hitter, 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 uh, was a really common strategy. This year, I think there's quite a few starting pitchers that go in the top three rounds that I frankly would like to have. I mean, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, DeGrom, Kluber, Verlander, Nola, Cole, Kershaw, all players in the top three rounds that I would want to own. And surprising to see Kershaw at the bottom of the, that list. But Nola and Cole just took such big strides this past year that I have them ahead of Kershaw. So you know, I'd personally like to get one of the guys in, in the top three rounds. But this year, I'm probably preferring to target that third round for my, my first starting pitcher to go and, and looking for Nola, Cole, or Kershaw. I, you know, I definitely want to get a pitcher and three hitters with my top four picks, but it doesn't hurt to hold from these guys either because there's plenty of options even later. You know, so if you draft a pitcher in the first round, I typically go with a hitter in the next three picks, but this year up through even, you know, pitcher ranked number 50, you know, I have Alex Reyes around number 50 and that's, that's great upside. So I think there's a lot of guys in the top 50 pitchers that have a lot of value. And if you don't get one of those guys in the top three rounds, it's very easy to still fill out a quality staff with what's left. Ain't no way I'm touching Alex Reyes at 50. Not happening. 50th overall pitcher. Uh, pitcher, okay. Yeah, that's probably reasonable though. Fine. Even so, he could start in the bullpen, stay there. Who knows? Injury. Just trying to pull a guy that has no, 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 yeah. high upside. Yeah, no, I hear you. So typically in, in the past, I've been anti- drafting a pitcher early. And last year, because of the way that I just described Scherzer felt to me, uh, I took a pitcher very early and I loved it. He was just a guy that you roll out there. He's going to get, he's going to get you pretty much the same thing every week. And it's quite, it's top of the line stuff. Somebody you don't have to worry about. And it really just helps you focus on other parts of your team and other categories. Um, that being said, I agree with Christian. There's a lot more of those top level type guys out here this year. I don't know that I would take one of those guys in the first round, personally, just because I've gotten burned by taking starters in the first round years ago, and I kind of just have a bad taste in my mouth ever since. Not saying that it can't pan out, but I, I think that you'll get good enough value, like Christian said, waiting for the third round, maybe even late second, depending on, on who's there and how it falls. But even fourth and fifth, I'd be comfortable waiting for my first starting pitcher, my ace of my squad, so to speak, if I can get three hitters that I've been targeting and really wanted in the first three rounds. Yeah, I mean, where I fall on this kind of ties back into the beginning of our draft discussion. It really also matters on your, your league format. So in our league, just as an example, we used to not have a, an innings cap or starting pitcher limit or anything like that. People got bitter 
And so they implemented rules where there was a limit on starting pitching. And so now, artificially, we've created more value for starting pitchers, which is totally fine. And so it's had me personally rethinking it in our league. Maybe I, I should be focused more on starting pitching early in our draft. And so just as a reminder, it's going to just, it depends on your league settings. If, if everyone is constantly streaming every day and it's just so diluted, then maybe you don't care about starting pitching as much. And I would be totally fine waiting longer then. If on the other hand, starting pitcher drives your league, I, like I was in a random Yahoo league where it drove everything. I believe it was a points league. So it was, it was different than a normal head to head. Then it's like, you got to have the pitcher. Like it's, it's almost like having a solid RB one in fantasy football. I will say like this year, my thoughts on starting pitchers is, is very close to you guys. I think there's like a top 10. I don't think there's like a top two and I would be hopeful to get someone in that top 10. What ends up happening to me is if I don't get someone in the top 10, like if I see a bunch of hitters that I like, I end up getting depressed about the pitching and I just keep waiting. And then it becomes like, uh oh, like I'm stuck with this loser. So I guess my recommendation would be don't fall into the trap that sometimes I do because then I'm scrambling to try and trade the second DH I drafted for some reason to somebody for a pitcher. Yeah, I think the analysis on how to value pitchers changes from year to year because of purely supply and demand. I mean, typically, you know, demand is going to stay constant because you have to fulfill a specific number of categories, starts, whatever it may be. But when the other access on that supply and demand changes, when supply increases, it actually reduces the value of that top starting pitcher. So in the case like this year, where we're saying, okay, there's top 10 guys that we'd all like. And last year, we're really looking at a big three. That tells me that the value of starting pitcher actually has been depressed slightly because of that supply. And therefore, you can wait an extra two rounds or so to get that starting pitcher and theoretically net out with an equivalent roster that you had last year. Sounds pretty inelastic. And just actually, it would be very elastic. <laughs> I have not gone screen. I don't remember, but <laughs> I think, and just to, to remind everybody out there, we're going to probably speak. Um, in terms of head-to-head category leagues, just because the one, the big league that we're a part of is that. Um, but you know, it's important for um, to first differentiate between that. So, like with Willie said, for points leagues, they're pretty much pitcher-driven. If I'm in a points league, I want as many aces as I can get. I might even go first three picks, first two picks at least, with a starting pitcher, just because of of how. And obviously, it depends on the points. You know, the the value of uh, the different stats and the different things in your league. But I mean. For points league, you can't have too many top-of-the-line starting pitchers. I would value starting pitchers way over closers. I know we'll probably get to that in a few minutes, but uh, in a points league, I would take a starting pitcher over a mediocre closer any day of the week. One other variable to consider in your league is either daily or weekly transactions. If you have weekly transactions in your league and you can only fulfill a certain number of pitcher slots each week, Starting pitching actually becomes more valuable because you can you want to get a guy who's going to have a quality start that week, or theoretically put a guy in there that's projected to have two starts that week. But the point being, if you have daily transactions, you can more easily fill in a volume of pitching statistics by plugging and playing guys into your starting roster as opposed to a weekly roster that you really got to plan out ahead of time. I think that's a great point. So moving on. Let's lump two things together here that we opened the show with in our news. Do you guys care about closers 
And do you care about catchers? What's your take on that? Maybe care is too strong of a position, but what's your draft strategy when it comes to closers and catchers? Pete, you want to start us off there? Sure. So my draft strategy when it comes to catchers, I'll start with, is if I'm not getting one of the top two, maybe three catchers, I'm waiting. I don't mind taking one of the top two or three where they're valued in in the draft. So top two, I'm really just talking Sanchez Real Muto right now. If I can get one of them too, I'll go for it. I'll even take a little bit of a reach for them. But other than that, I'm waiting until pretty much I filled out the rest of my roster to take a catcher um, just because of the position and, and the lack of productivity there. So it really just depends. Are you going to take that reach for a catcher um, to just be able to kind of set it and forget it? You know that you don't have to worry about, oh, my catcher lost his job. Or my catcher's like hitting 100. I can't start him anymore. Um, let me go pick up somebody else. If you don't have to worry about flipping catchers around, then um, taking one of those top two, I'd say the top five catchers at the right value, um, or maybe with a little bit of reach just to have that um, safety blanket of knowing you can just throw them in there and not have to worry about it. Uh, that's kind of the way that I look at it, especially if you're in a keeper format. If you can, if you have a catcher that you can keep with pretty good value of, of those top five, that's something to consider as well. Because again, like I said, the set it and forget it type of thing. Moving over to closers. Um, in a league like ours categories, I like to have about two to four closers on my roster at a time if possible. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, whether the draft doesn't work out that way or people lose their job or get hurt or something like that. But ideally, I'd like to have at least two on my roster. And honestly, I don't like to punt the category in any way, shape, or form. I'll take as many closers as possible. But how early would, would you draft a closer? Top tier closer, I would probably, and I have in the past taken one in the fifth or sixth round. Which I think is about the industry standard for the top couple of closers. Flipping it over to a points league, I would only take a top tier closer. I would not take any type of closer just because of the way that those points are typically laid out. The value for ERA and whip versus the points that you get for a save uh, and strikeouts, I think is it's more valuable for you to own a middle of the road starting pitcher than a middle of the road closer. So Christian, what do you think? Well, you know, there are really only two closers that you'd even draft in the fourth or fifth round. After that, you're really looking at like a seventh or eighth rounder. You know, in a, in a standard five by five league, you have to care about closers because you only have five pitching categories to punt one of the five. You can't punt 20% of the pitching categories. That's too difficult. If you are in a categories league that has more than five by five, it's a lot easier to rationalize punting one of those categories. But in order to compete for saves, you have to have at least three closers, you know, to your point, Pete, I think, I think you have to have at least three closers and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to draft them. You, you can acquire closers throughout the year because there's such high volatility with the teams. There's really only about 15 closers that have a job going in to spring training, which means half the teams still haven't even decided who their closer is. And that turnover is going to be really high. So, you know, that as long as you're active on your waiver wire, you can acquire these guys and fill fill those slots in. The problem with that strategy is that you start the season behind the eight ball. So you better have used those draft picks that you would have otherwise drafted a closer on somebody who's a safe pick. You don't want to use those drafts on a sleeper or a high upside development player who has a high chance of missing. You got to get a sure output person because, because the reason you're foregoing a closer is to get the value at hitter. So you got to make sure that you you know, get those statistics back. So, you know, given that there's 15 closers with the safe 
job and that only two of them are really in the fourth or fifth round, the rest of them are in that middle of the bucket, very well could lose their job situation. So I'm not typically investing very much in, in closer and I'm trying to acquire along the way. Moving over, moving it over to catcher, I don't care about catcher at all. I mean, there are there just aren't enough legitimate catchers for every team in a 10 or 12 team league. Because of this, you know, three three of those catchers that are relevant ended up getting taken earlier than their statistics suggest that they should be. So you have to reach in order to get one of those catchers. So typically you're going to find yourself in a position where either you have to overvalue and, and draft too high to get somebody, or you're going to be in rostering a catcher that theoretically brings down your ratio categories like average OBP or OPS. Now, for that reason, I typically wait until the last round to fill the position if the league settings require me to fill a catcher, or I just don't fill it at all if the, if the league settings don't, don't make me fill it. Because I know that a plug and play strategy is actually going to give me counting strats along the way. Because in a daily transaction leagues, I can stream a catcher who's starting each day to ensure that I'm getting at bats. So although I may be bringing down my ratios, at least I'm trying to contribute with a volume of statistics. Whereas if I roster the sixth, seventh, eighth ranked catcher, not only am I hurting my ratio categories, but they're only playing two out of three days three out of five days. So I'm not getting the volume of statistics that I need to from the position. So any catcher in that, I even say five to 10, five to 12 ranking range is just not even worth investing in from a draft perspective. Now, if you can pick them up after the draft's over, power to you. But I I, I think streaming a catcher and getting stats every day is a much better strategy. So I'm going to agree with part of what you said and also disagree with part of what you said. I think the part I disagree with is if you're in a one catcher league, which is the vast majority of leagues, that usually means 12, 10, maybe 14, maybe 16 catchers are taken. There's 32 teams, 30 teams. I mean, so that means half the starting catchers at least don't even need to be drafted to fill out a full league's worth of catchers. And so I disagree with you on that. There aren't you know, 12 worthy catchers. There's, there's 12 good enough catchers. Okay. You're shaking your head. No, but I, I say yes. And for me, I do agree with your streaming analysis though, because 14 through 30, they're kind of the same and you could stream them and get a similar output to maybe someone in the 10 range. Another place I disagree with you though, is that's kind of a pain in the butt. And there is definitely attrition in a daily league where that strategy would work on doing it. And you, if you're doing it with pitchers too, it's got to be draining if you have to worry about catcher too. And so for me, I, I hear you on the strategy and I think it's work. it works if you can invest that way and you can do it. But I think for catcher, I would prefer to have someone towards the top if at all possible. I'd be willing, this year, I think there's such a drop off after the top two. I would be willing to, to give the investment for the top two. And then after that, it gets a little bit more dicey. But if we're talking like round 14 and maybe Buster Posey slips because he's been injured and he doesn't really show the power that he has, I don't know. I, I agree with your general thought process that you, if you're not taking someone like a, a closer there, you don't miss on the pick. But I wouldn't mind Posey in like the 14th round. I don't think it's a wasted pick. And it would give me just peace of mind of knowing I don't have to worry about this position. It is what it is. I can't upgrade it on the wire. So that's kind of where I come on catcher. What were you going to say? I see Posey at the 14th round as, as 
Uh, I, I agree with that analysis. I, I would take Posey in the 14th round, but really after Posey is where that drop-off starts to happen. So, you know, you have your Grandal, Molina, Ramos, and then 9, 10, 11 is like Austin Hedges, Mike Zunino, Jorge Alfaro. That That's dreadful. I'm not rostering Austin Hedges or Mike Zunino every day of, of the week. It's th- That's a streaming guy. So if catchers, you know, 7 through 12 are in that category, then I'm not, I, I'm just taking the streaming approach. Yes, it's a bigger burden for you to manage your team in order to do that successfully. And if you don't stay on top of it, it actually can burn you. So there's some liability in, in a, taking the strategy because if you don't manage it, then it actually hurts you more than if you just went the safe route and overpaid for one. So it's really on you. If you're going to be diligent in managing the strategy, then I think that's the way to go. I, I agree. I was going to bring that up. I think that if you're going to go the route that you said and go the stream route, you need to be all in on it and you need to plan your draft around it. So you're going to go with that strategy. Now you know you're going to be dra- you're going to be picking up guys like Mike Zanino and Austin Hedges and maybe somebody even worse that's going to hit in the 100s. You're going to need to draft more average then because you know you're not going to get it at the catcher position. Yeah, maybe you'll get a home run, you know, a couple home runs a week here and there, you know, a couple RBIs if the catcher's having a, a really hot week. But other than that, you're going to need to back up your team with people that you know are going to get you the stats that you're going to be lacking, especially in the categories league from a catcher. Going to a points league, I kind of like the approach of what Christian was saying earlier as to if you if your league allows don't even roster a catcher because in points leagues, you typically lose points for strikeouts and you know just getting out in general. And they're going to put anybody but the top five catchers are going to probably put up negative points for you every week. So I think in a points league, going no catcher is probably the smarter route, in my opinion. No, I, I don't agree with that. I, I'm big on counting stats and I, I would rather stream. And I, I think part of it too is it's just fun to have someone there accumulating stats and seeing what they do. Part of the advantage, I would think, to not drafting a catcher and to potentially streaming or just randomly picking up guys on the free agent wire is you could say, hey, I'm going to a ball game today. I'm going to pick up the backup catcher that's playing on Thursday afternoon. That's the most fun. I mean, that's kind of where I would see the benefit of doing it. And I, I'll be honest, on Thursdays and Mondays, I'm often streaming catchers who I've never even heard of. So. Just real quick, my philosophy on closers is similar to catchers and starting pitching. Totally believe the top tier guys are worth investing in. And I feel like after the draft, one of the things I've learned and why I've developed that philosophy is after the draft, if I don't have one of the guys, the first thing I want to do is go trade for somebody like that. I'm like, oh, I really need somebody. I really screwed up. I didn't get uh, you know, a top of the line guy here. So I want at least one top of the line closer. I hate when that first closer goes earlier than you wanted. It always happens in every draft, like round four, something insane, and Kevin O'Shea takes the first closer. And you're like, no, now I have to start thinking about this. And, and now you have to, you just want to see that closer fail now because that happened. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true of every player that I don't draft. But yeah, I mean, once the first closer comes off, then I have to start thinking about it. And then um, sometimes I'm like, well, Maybe no one will draft a second closer, but then, you know, Max dropped Josh the second closer. And it's like, okay, well, crap. Now I have to take a closer because they're all going to go. If I don't get it, I'm going to have that elite closer. So my strategy is I want an elite closer. I, I want to wait too, though. So it's a mixed bag. I do agree that about half the close situations are pending and you end up picking up players. You just, ha- again, have to be invested in it. You know, well, if you go that route, you got to be ready on the waiver wire because. There's people in our league like Dan who 
rightly or wrongly don't don't play the category, but he'll still pick up closers because he says, I, you know, I'll trade him. Someone values this. I'll trade it. I'll trade him. So, and Dan hunts the waiver wire for those people. Yeah, and I think that's smart. I think that's smart. And so if you go into your draft saying, I'm, I'm just going to go with the theory, I'm going to accumulate saves off the waiver wire. I think it can work. You got to stick to it though. Yeah. And, and one thing that I would recommend too is it's an exception with the top tier guys. You don't have to worry about with them. But if you draft your closers, you know, the middle of the range closers or even the lower end closers just to, to in the categories leads, just to have saves on your roster, you got it just like doing research before the draft, knowing if people like we were mentioning earlier have a visa problem or are injured or have a starting job, know who those closers backups are so that if they start to struggle, you can either A, Pre- prematurely pick the uh, their possible replacement up if you have the roster space for it, just so you have that handcuff. And B, just so you are ready to, if they do blow a save or if you know it looks like they're going to get demoted or they do get demoted, you can run it and pick them up. You just gotta you gotta know those things when you're drafting, especially if you're drafting those, like I said, middle of the tier to lower tier closers. So moving on real quick, let's just quickly hit on this topic and not spend a lot of time on it. Multi-position eligibility, real quick, I'll just say I give more value to those players that generally I don't necessarily target them. But what do you guys do in terms of that? Some people highly are highly aggressive in that area. What do you think? I like it, especially in positions where I'm just going to give the example of Glaber Torres, who is a second baseman, but has shortstop eligibility. So if they have a, a second eligibility, that's not their main position that they qualify at, that's maybe a more scarce position. Um, that's something that I look into uh, as well, just because, you know, then I'm, you know, I'm not drafting a shortstop, but I am drafting a shortstop in his extra eligibility. And just, I, I like, like I've, I've owned some, but some guys like Marvin Gonzalez in the past who you can literally start pretty much at any position. And it's just extremely valuable when you're trying to pick up players, especially in a, you know, a daily transactions league where on a Monday or Thursday, it's, it's a short day. You can move that guy around in your lineup and maximize the amount of players that you do play for those days. I will say it's nice to have a couple guys on your team that have that multi-position eligibility. If you only have one of them, it's, it, it's helpful. But when you actually have a couple of them, they compound each other and you can move a lot of things around and it becomes really advantageous. One of the things Pete said, I think, is really important though actually is the scarcity of, of a position and that's really more important to me when I'm evaluating you know their their draft value because especially this year with a couple of the positions there there are some positions that have some real scarcity in them and if you're considering player A versus player B and one plays a position that's a little bit more scarce then I'm I tend to go with the pl- player B who's you know in the more scarce position so just to give a couple of examples you know, I think after the top 12 first baseman, there's very few options left. I think after the top 30 outfielders, the talent pool drops off dramatically as well. So those are the two positions that I would say are probably the shallowest this year compared to previous years. And first base used to be a position where you could just hold off on that and and know that you're going to get a diamond in the rough somewhere later later in the draft. But this year, looking at the potential first baseman, I, I really see a big drop off after about 12 of them. And you know, just to piggyback off that really quick is the scarcity of a specific category too. You know, going beyond just the constraints of a particular uh, position, steals being that prototypical one that's very important because there just aren't a lot of them that go around. So sometimes it's nice to focus on a guy that gets a lot of stolen bases early in a draft, so that you're not reaching for a specific category later on. 
you know, it can really hurt you to reach for steals later in the draft when you have to pass up a decent hitter just to fulfill a need. So, you know, thinking about scarcity, both from a positional and a category perspective is important in, in draft analysis as well. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I, I think very, very accurate. And I think it's an, another reminder not to be a dead horse here, but know your league settings. Position eligibility is a, a league dependent thing and it can be modified by rules. And remember a couple of years ago, Christian had Anthony Rizzo on his team. Couldn't believe this, but due to shifting during Cubs games, Rizzo gained second base eligibility. And, and we don't have like a, a lax rule. We're somewhere in the middle with this head-to-head league that we talk about. 10, 10 games, maybe maybe it's 15. I, I don't know. That, that year he got 10 games at second base and ESPN is typically 10 games to gain eligibility. CBS and Yahoo are typically five games to gain eligibility. So ESPN has a little bit of a higher threshold. And then from carrying from year to year is typically 20 games the year previous. So if a player played, say, 11 games, gained that position eligibility because they hit the 10 threshold, but they only played 11, they won't carry that position eligibility over to the next year because they didn't get to 20. So, so a couple just nuances there to consider. And so I would say just if you're making a rankings list or anything like that, just know what the actual rules of your league are and where people actually have eligibility. Because whether you're using like fantasy pros or something like that, they might have someone marked down as a first baseman, but maybe that's not the case in your league. So let's close out with two final topics. We'll start with keeper considerations. We play the three of us together in a keeper league. How do you how do you guys handle that? Keepers can be done a multitude of different ways. I think the number one most popular way to do keepers is you pick a specific number of keepers and those are your first couple of rounds of the draft. So in that situation, you're trying to keep the players who are most valuable on your team given that they're going to be the highest draft values for you. The other popular way to do this is to value the keeper based on a previous valuation from from the previous year. So we're carrying over from year to year. If you pick the player up, it could be a specific value. If you drafted them in a specific round, they may be a, a round higher or the same as last year. So you know, with that consideration, you're really trying to find players that you drafted late, but then overperformed based on the value or based on the draft value that you had. So you draft a guy in the fifteenth round. He performs like a sixth rounder. That's a perfect candidate for a keeper. So it's hard to say without knowing specific league that we're speaking about to, to give a broad statement about keepers, but those are the really two main methods to, to executing keeper league. Well, before Pete jumps in here, let me throw a real life example in for you. What are your thoughts on drafting the highest touted prospect probably in the 20s or at the back end of a draft and then holding him all year? Let's say he has no chance. But then the following year, you're pretty confident he's going to play most, if not all, of the year. And so I'm specifically thinking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. here. Davala drafted him at the end of our draft last year. Slowly during the year, you can see his ownership percentage go up and up and up. And then in our other leagues, where it's not a keeper league, Vlad Guerrero was getting picked up and people were just hoping. And now, presumably, we don't know, but presumably Davala is going to keep him in you know, the 22nd round. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I don't have the patience to do that. I, I like the roster spot. I couldn't ever sit there. I mean, is that something you would go into a draft thinking, I'm going to do this? My thought is that it's a really small window from a percentage that that's going to hit. You need to have them be a top caliber player in order for it to be worth enduring the opportunity cost of holding that player for an entire year. 
in addition to the opportunity cost of holding the player, you've actually invested tangible costs by drafting them in a specific round, albeit a late round is a low, low cost. But the opportunity cost of not having counting stats from a player on your roster for an almost an entire year is pretty significant. So if they don't get called up by all-star game or something, it's really a hindrance to your roster. And it's hard to justify unless that player pans out to be, you know, top 10% player. Stay tuned after the podcast for Christian's economics lecture. Pete, go ahead. Um, to, to, to your question about, you know, someone like Vlad Guerrero Jr. I agree with you. I don't have the patience for it. And I value the roster spot much more than, than holding that, that keeper in the late round value. That being said, I do like looking into keepers one of two ways personally in a league where you are keeping somebody based on where they were drafted or, or their value from the previous year. Um, so in the draft, as this episode, we're talking about the draft, I like looking at people like prospects that you could take in the late rounds in, that are probably going to get called up within the first two, maybe three months of the season um, is kind of where I draw the line of, of, of holding, you know, wasting a roster spot, so to, so to speak. On the other side, I look at more, I do this on more on the starting pitcher side of things is take somebody in the later rounds, maybe not even so much like 20 plus, but maybe in like the, the late teens, 15 to 20, a starting pitcher that hasn't really, hasn't really clicked for them yet, but you think that the potential is possibly there. You know, some players that has worked for me in the past, Robbie Ray, Charlie Morton, somebody like that, who's been decent, shows potential, but hasn't really put it all together. That's kind of how I like looking at keepers because then it just gives you that value um, for the next year to at least consider to help your, in my case, pitching stats, um, at, you know, getting great value for those people and not having to waste an earlier round pick and getting that value in return in the late round pick. I think that's, it's very good advice. Let's close out today's episode with just maybe a piece of draft advice or knowledge. I mean, whatever you really want to close it out with, I'll say, make sure to draft people you like. That's a huge thing for me. Sometimes I forget to do it and then you're just bitter and you're angry on draft day. And that's not what the day should be like. It should be an exciting day. I've had lots of conversations where during the draft, I'll lean over to Pete and I'll be like, oh man, I don't know if I should have drafted uh, Gregory Polanco here. <laughs> I don't think I like him. And, you know, so just be mindful that if you like a player, draft him. And last year, I fully embraced that. I took uh, Ronald Cunha Jr. in the sixth round, I believe. Maybe it was seventh. I don't remember. But the point being, I was aggressive and I because I wanted him. And if you want a player, go draft him because you, you're stuck with him all year. And you got to look at the picture from ESPN or whatever platform you play on and, and, and vice versa. And I, I'll also just say, after draft day, it's really exciting for me to look on our, our platform in our league to see who the top player of free agency to see who wasn't drafted is. I don't know why, but that's like one of my favorite moments. Right. Who did we forget? <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's been like a random guy. A couple of years ago, it was like a White Sox utility player. I just remember it was so like, who's going to claim him? Like, oh, I wish I had him on waiver wire. And I, I think I had it or someone, someone had it draft or picked him up after the draft and then immediately dropped him like a week later <laughs> but you get so excited like oh this guy's 30 percent owned and he's still out there the advantage of having the, the 10 <laughs> or 12 pick. yeah i completely agree with you on the player you like this happened to me last year i took chris sale over taking jd martinez i was in love with jd martinez but at the position i just thought that chris sale was such a better value and the entire year, I wish I had J.D. Martinez. Not that Chris Sale had a bad year. He was still one of the top pitchers and great, great strikeout con con contributions. So it's hard to complain. But 
the year that JD Martinez had, it just feels like I really missed out on the one year. Cause every year prior I had JD Martinez and I endured the broken foot and the, this or that injury. And it's like the one year I just didn't take the guy I liked and I went with value over it and I regret it. So definitely agree on the, the take a player you like. So you're like the Houston Astros with JD Martinez. Of course. Who doesn't? So the couple pieces of advice that I had one um, going along the same lines is don't, undervalue people because you don't like them. I am a diehard Yankees fan. Last year I had a pick and I was doing my mock drafts. It looks like, you know, around where it was going to land was going to be Charlie Blackman. Mookie bets were going to be available. I went back and forth. I, you know, wanted to take bets, but I, you know, value wise, but I didn't want to take him because I don't like the Red Sox or anything about them. I wound up going with bets and I obviously could not be happier it turned my feeling around on the whole subject. Uh, I don't care what jersey you wear at this point. If, if your value is there, I'm looking at your numbers and how you played, and, and I'm drafting you accordingly, or as I see, you should be drafted. And another thing is just do your research. There's tons of tons of articles out there for different league formats and things like that. Just, just Google it. You'll be able to find something. You'll be able to find rankings based on, based on your league settings or at least something very similar. And then do your research and be confident during the draft. If you think that the, the, the guy that you want to pick is the right pick, just pick it. You know, especially in the later rounds, if you want to take a, a shot at somebody, don't be afraid. Some people who will remain nameless shunned me last year for drafting Sin Su Chu in like the 20th round, called me a moron, and the guy was an all-star. So be confident, go with your gut, and just just trust your trust your research that you did. Yeah, that was me, and I don't really regret that. It's still shocking to me that he was even remotely productive and didn't have like a lingering hamstring injury like he seems to every year. So good for him. I mean, he got a ridiculous amount of money from the Rangers. He's blocking my boy, Willie Calhoun, who absolutely deserves to be playing instead of him. I don't really care that he's an all-star. But yeah, so that was me. You know, the one thing I would disagree with, Pete, on not caring about the jersey, the player wears and that is the new york mets although i'm a phillies fan and i just hate the mets outright i I, they are just a bad organization they could be the exception they don't manage their players well so even if we're talking about their star pitchers i mean who hasn't who's owned a mets pitcher who hasn't had some difficulty with the way that they manage the injuries it's just it's a tough tough team to, to own yeah i think that's interesting too because while you were getting at more of just fan hate and right I've been able to go years without drafting Yankees players. Didn't hurt me, by the way. So I don't know if I fully agree. But outside of fan hate, you could have a park factors. You know, Coors Field's the common one. That's right. And that's not what I was getting at. Yeah. yeah. But I would say some people would just go into a draft saying, I'm not going to draft a Rockies pitcher. And for the first time in maybe our lives, Maybe that's not the case this year. So just interesting. I mean, people have different philosophies and they're going to go with the draft with different things. Um, so I think this was a good discussion. We hit on a lot of the common topics. Next week, we're going to start our positional discussion. We'll start with first base. We'll go through rankings. I'll probably play a bunch of would you rather games with our, our panel here. And, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> 